to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Chapter 8. We're going to be finishing up chapter 8 and just get a look, good glimpse here of uh, the first of chapter 9. As we aim for what is honorable, as we shared with you last week, the apostles were raising funds for the churches in Judea who were undergoing mighty persecution and they were recovering from a famine. In last week's passage, Paul had boasted of the hard attitude of the churches of Macedonia. We know those churches today as Berea, Thessalonica, and Philippi. He held those churches up as an example to the church of Corinth. And essentially, he's saying, do as the Macedonians do. Taking a little bit off of the Romans there. Paul encouraged the church of Corinth to excel in the grace of giving generously. And that was our challenge in the same way. As we were to look at the issue there 2,000 years ago, we find out the spiritual truth, and then we say, well, what does that mean for OVBC and, 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 and the charge for us? And the charge for us is the same as them. We should excel in the grace of giving generously. Paul was pointing out that the churches of Macedonia were given a supernatural uh, desire to give. That it was supernatural and that it was a gift from God was evident, not only in their circumstances, but also in the manner in which they gave. And you might remember the circumstance was of affliction and persecution. This was not a wealthy church. This was not a church that's thriving in the sense that most of us would think of, but it was a church undergoing some very difficult times themselves. And the manner in which they gave was even more spectacular in that their giving was voluntarily, it was sacrificially, and generously. And Paul wrote that this opportunity to the Corinthians, he says, if you were to give generously, is actually going to prove whether or not your love is genuine. And he points to the example of Christ's sacrificial, voluntary, and generous giving of himself so that we could be reconciled or made right to God. In other words, what Paul was telling us, when we give, it's a testimony to what God has given to us. Paul reminds the Corinthians of their earlier desire in this relief project. And he now challenges them to follow through as giving is a privilege, not an obligation, as God invites us to join him in his work. And so that was the challenge for you and I, is that we too ought to pray for that desire, that gift, to give more. Today, as we're going to go through, we're going to see a little bit more as he continues to talk about the administration of this relief project for the churches of Judea. Let's pray. Father, I again, I come before you humbly asking for you to speak through uh, your word this morning. Lord, let us be able to discern between your words of truth and then my words of opinion and, and information. Lord, and I pray that you would fill up what's ever lacking in my ability or in my words or in our, even in our own thoughts and, and uh, preferences and words and things. Lord, that you would fill up and that your word would be magnified this morning. Help us to understand this art of giving. This is when we usually turn our ears off. But Lord, you're speaking to us that we're here today, not by accident, not by coincidence, but predetermined to hear what you have for us. 
So I pray that we'd open up our hearts to hear and receive what you have for us. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Today I'm not going to give you anything of deep doctrinal truth, but I believe it's going to be something that's important. What we're going to talk about today is a little bit more administration as Paul is talking about the relief project of the giving of the churches. As you know, Paul is going around the churches collecting money so that he could bring it to the churches of Jerusalem who were really struggling. And what a gift this was. Paul had a heart for the Jewish uh, church as they realized is that they were, they were the ones who were the, the ones who gave and sharing with the, uh, the Gentiles the promises of God. Now in, 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 in uh, I'm about to say Acts, but it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 16, Paul is going to continue as he talks about it. He goes to the Corinthians and says, But thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. Verse 20. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of men. You ought to underline that phrase, highlight it. That's a great passage of Scripture to have. Verse 22. And with them we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of this great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the church for the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of your boasting about you to these men. Paul informs them as he's as preparing, he says, you need to give generously as the Macedonians do. And in this, he's informing them, do not be surprised, but some envoys are going to be coming to collect and deliver that financial gift to the church of Judea. So this is something that would be normal back then. When you would go from one church to another, you would, re, you would have a letter of recommendation telling who you are and why you're there. The first man that we see is Titus in verse 16. Titus is appointed by Paul, and he's a partner in Paul's ministry. And Titus has been very eager and has an earnest care, and he's accepted Paul's appeal to be part of this financial giving. Now, they would have been familiar with Titus, for Titus, as we just saw several weeks ago, was the one that brought that very difficult, and as Paul wrote, tearful letter to the churches of Corinth. And in it, they had respond such overwhelmingly with repentance and desire to resolve their conflict with Paul. And so for, Paul, for them, Titus was someone that they were very familiar with. Now in verse 18, it's kind of interesting. He says, we're also sending a famous brother. That's all we really get from him. We don't know who his name is, but he must be famous enough that they don't have to list who his name is. He was appointed by the churches, and this man is unnamed because he was so well-known. He was so prominent and unpeachable. He was a distinguished preacher, and he was able to add credibility to the enterprise of taking the collection to the churches. And then in verse 22, we see that the third person involved in this was an unnamed brother, another one who also had a great reputation. The reasons now for sending the envoy, as we see, 
as we go on, is that so no one should blame us. There's a purpose in what he's doing. As Paul delivers this gift to Jerusalem, he's going to be accompanied by a team of men well-known for their, te- for their integrity. Their presence will guarantee a public accounting for the gifts and also provide, pro- excuse me, provide protection from robbers. When Paul writes in verse 19, you might see that verse here, when he writes, as we carry this act of grace, and that's how to realize, when we look at the act of grace, he's speaking of giving. We need to recognize it's a blessing, it's an act of grace, that it's being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. Paul wanted careful scrutiny as protection against bringing dishonor to Christ for any misappropriation of the funds. You can imagine travel was very difficult. It was very perilous for someone, especially who was carrying large sums of money. And obviously he wanted to make sure that everything he did was to the right way. He wanted to avoid any offenses worthy of justifiable criticisms or accusations. He had a desire to be pleasing to the Lord. And that's where we're in that verse 20, uh, 21 that I had you underlined, is that he says, where we aim what is honorable. And I think that's so important. Paul aims what is honorable. He recognizes that his ministry is a public ministry, and whatever he does is going to be uh, scrutinized. And that's something that you and I ought to be very aware of, especially as a church, is that we need to be aware of how we handle our finances, we ought to be, uh, how we handle our money, how we handle our ministries, how we do church. A better rendering is to take into consideration what is honorable. Paul cared greatly about what people thought of his actions, especially considering how large the gift was. Paul wanted to be above board. He wanted to be blameless. He wanted to be sensitive to the charges of corruption and ill-gotten gain or misuse of funds. You say, why why, why would anyone ever accuse Paul of these types of things? We just have to remember, Paul and the Corinthians were having that type of battle. There was some conflict that was going on. He was being accused of not being a true minister of God or not having the blessing of God on his ministry. So Paul just wanted to set it right. Listen, I want to do everything above board. I want to be, I aim for what is honorable. And I think that really speaks a lot to many of us today. As Christians, we ought to always aim for what is honorable. For churches, we ought to make what's aimed for honorable. It's sad when you open up the paper and you see churches that are losing their buildings or another, uh, or another scandal where a pastor or, or a group of people have misspent church funds. Well, you know, we, we see that very clearly. There's a major church in this area that lost everything because of misuse of property, misuse of money. And it doesn't do well for the cause of Christ when his people are not honorable with the givings of God's people. And we need to make sure in the same way. There's, you know, I don't know how many of you get, you ever go to a business and you see the little fish symbol in the window? Or you know those little, uh, now they have even Christian yellow pages where you can open up and here's a Christian plumber, here's a, here's a Christian you know, automaker or you know, dealer or, or whatnot. I'll have to tell you, there are times when I see that little fish. Now why are they putting it on there? I'll leave that open to you. Why? It's not rhetorical, you can answer back. I want to make sure you're awake. Why do people put those little fish symbols and say that they're Christians? They want you to trust them, right? Thank you, Landon. They want you to trust them. They say, I'm a Christian. And when you hear that, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, hold your, hold your wallet and run, right? 
And I'll have to admit, there are times when someone leads with that, if they know I'm a Christian, and they lead, oh, I'm a Christian. I had that this week, having some people look at uh, some, some people come and give us an estimate on painting. And one of them, oh, I'm a Christian too. That makes me almost want to say, up, oh, I'm not doing business with you. Because why? There have been so many times when people use the term Christian in a way to wrap people in. Oh, we're a Christian ministry. Or you know, or you, or you have people who, and this, I've, I've, I've experienced this quite a bit in a few churches that I've been in, where you have people who will join churches just so they can sell Amway or Network or do something like that. Somebody's laughing. You know what I'm talking about. You know, there's always, and they use churches as a way to sell product or to make money. And I'll have to say that there have been many times, sadly, when we Christians have not lived up to what is honorable and what is right. True? True. Why is it that most pastors hate talking about money in church? Because everyone thinks that a church is after your money. And you may be here, and you're thinking, here I am at a church, I've only been here several times, and here they are, just what everyone's always talking about. They're talking about money. Well, that happens to be where we're at in Scripture. But the point is, is how we, do, how, we re, how we use our money and how we handle our money tells a lot about us. And Paul is writing here and saying, listen, I'm being an example to you. We need to do what is honorable. He told this to the Romans. He says, so do not let what you regard as good to be spoken evil of. And we need to be careful. There are a lot of people that are watching churches, that are watching pastors, that are watching people who say they're a Christian and saying, do they live up to what they say? How we handle our money, how we handle our giving, and how we, uh, we, how we meet needs of others reflect the gospel. In Colossians, Paul writes to the church of Colossae and says, You who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. In other words, we were once alienated and hostile to God, but God in his love has come and has made us right with God. He's given us a new heart. We've been regenerated. In other words, we are no longer have the mind of the world. And so the way that we handle things and do things ought to be different. I'll take an amen there. There ought to be something different. When someone says they're a Christian, they ought to be people that says, this is a person of integrity. There ought to be some of us in here as a church that I don't have to name you by name, but I just say, hey, here we have a brother that's, that's a man of integrity. Boy, you ought to be all to be thinking, oh, I know that person, that's bingo. That's how we ought to be, and Paul says this is important as we go through. Our attitudes about giving should be different from the world. And as we go back to 1 Corinthians, uh, the first uh, letter to Corinthians, you see that the way they were acting was not in the way that was pleasing to God. We saw this in our Sunday school in Philippians chapter 2, where he says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless, innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Paul recognized that we as a church we are an aroma. We are a fragrance. We are a light. 
What do people say of OBC, OBBC? Do they say that's a church of integrity? Does it say that's a church that does things in the right way? Do they have a love for people? I want to share with you, that's one of my desires, to be a pastor, in which we use our finances and our giving in such a way that's above board, and it's honorable. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul writes that an overseer, speaking of a pastor, must be above reproach, must be respectable, not a lover of money, and he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he might not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. Let me show you, that happens not only with the pastors and the, and the preachers, but it also happens with those that are in the pews. How do you think of money? How do you use your money? Take your Bibles, if you would, real quickly, Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, we get an example of the early New Testament church and how they lived with each other and lived as a church. Great, One of my favorite passages of scriptures but in Acts chapter 2, look at verses 45. And as they go on, we see that they're doing many, many mighty things. The church has been growing. 3,000 people are saved, I believe, at, at one time. It says in verse 45, And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. They had a heart for each other. They wanted to make sure that there was no one that was going hungry among them. There was no one going without uh, a shelter or, 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 or clothing. But look at 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread, they were having fellowship in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. Verse 47 is the key. Praising God, and look at this, having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. One of the things that should be important to us is that when people from the outside look in at OVBC, they see a church of integrity. They see a church that is taking care of each other, that are taking care of those in need. And I'll have to say, I want to praise you on this point, is that this church has done very well in doing that. I want to commend you with that. And I want to encourage you to greater as our deacon funds have been growing. If there are those of you in our church that are in need, we do have a deacon's fund to help. We do have our food pantry that we want you to be able to use. But I encourage you to even greater giving and generosity. And in it, let's do it in a way that's pleasing and honorable to the Lord. And you say, well, why should I give it all? Why should I give it all? Well, I believe there's four, and I'm not going to give you so much reasons, but there's four things that you need to give to in a church. And this is where we need to be honorable, and we need to be favorable, and we need to be spoken of well outside. The first one is we need to provide for the church ministry. That could be the staffing. It could be for the electricity. It could be for the building. And I have to tell you, there will be times, because of lack of funds, the state of our building and our grounds, we were not looked on favorably by many. That was a, we were not blameless in that area. And many times it's because we just didn't have the funds to do so, but yet the funds are here. Did we use them in the correct way? We also do it to provide for the household of God, its members. And there we see the deacon's fund and the, and the pantry and other types of things. But also we need to give towards, to provide for those that are in the world so that we may be able to earn their favor and be able to give the, the opportunity to share the gospel. 
And we do that through many different ministries that we have, through the Friendly Center, through, through uh, the little things that we do throughout the city. And then to provide for missions. And when we do that, we need to do it in an honorable way, recognizing that others will view how we do so. Paul is saying these men are sent not only to do the right thing and to make, make sure that things are done well, but they're examples of godly integrity. And the Corinthians' response to those men and to the giving is again going to be a proof of their love. And he says, so give proof before the churches of your love and of your boast. Let me ask you, what does OVBC's giving say about our church? If people were to look at the giving of, the, of its people, the voluntary, sacrificial, generous giving of its people, what would they say? Would that be a hallmark, a proof of our love for Christ? How is the handling of our money honorable? Some people say these are people of integrity. They don't cheat on their taxes. They don't do the things that are wrong. They don't live in the same way that the world lives. Now Paul is going to go from some, some ways in which we're protecting ourselves and how we should view our money to some practical advice. And then we find that in chapter 9 as Paul continues about the collection. Join with me in chapter 9 in the first five verses. Now he writes, Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about to you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers, so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this manner. Don't be empty, don't be vain, don't let it go to waste, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift and not as an exaction. Superfluous. Great word. I love that word. We ought to use that word at least once a week. It means extraordinary or necessary. Paul is saying, it's unnecessary that I write to you about this ministry of the saints. You had a readiness. You had a zeal. Your readiness and your zeal to do it, your desire to do it was so great that it actually inspired others to follow suit. But now he says it's almost changed. You now has, Your desire has died down. You ever find that happen? you ever find yourself having a desire for something? Oh, I want to do this. I want to be part of this. And then after a while, it just kind of slowly dies down and, and you just stop participating. It can happen in anything. It can happen in marriage and parenting. It can happen at church. It can happen in a, at work. It can happen in, in your entertainment or, or in your sports and other activities. Paul is saying, don't let that happen here. Your great desire, follow through. Paul knew that the Corinthians had a great desire and readiness to be part of this relief project. And he'd even told the Macedonians of the Corinthians' desire, and that desire, again, had inspired the Macedonians to great, generous giving, even in the midst of affliction and persecution. He's now telling them to live up to your pledge. Don't be stingy. Follow through with your plans. 
And I think that's where many of us, sometimes we fail as a church. So again, I just want to take this short message this morning, and I want to encourage you. Have you been given generously as God has given placed on your heart? God has asked you not to give as an obligation, but recognizing as a privilege to join in Him in His work, whether it's missions or meeting the needs or just the structures and the things of the church that we must do. I want to challenge you. It says so much about us and whether or not truly God is within us. Paul doesn't want them to be embarrassed. And he reminds them that this gift is a blessing to those who receive it. And many times it's our thought process of giving. We give not cheerfully, but feeling like we have to give it, not recognizing that many times that's a blessing to someone else. He wanted them to prepare by following the instructions that he gave them into his last letter in 1 Corinthians, where he says, On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. In other words, Paul recognizes that if they do not plan and prepare, it would come across as not a willing gift, but an exaction or an exaxation, giving because they have to. Have you ever had that happen? You're giving to something, you say you're going to give to it, you're going to give to it, but you don't prepare, and then at the end you have to give it, and you feel, oh, I just got to do it, now I got to just give the money. Encourage you, don't look at giving in that type of way. We need to play, we need to plan for it. We need to prepare for our giving. Even in our giving to the church and giving to the to the needs of the church. Nor is it to be a gift expecting something in return. And this is something the Corinthians struggled with was greed and covetous, as many of us. Sometimes what prevents good people from giving in a godly way is the fact, well, what do I get out of it? It's not for me, we're giving it to other people. And you're over looking for that, you know, that tit for tat, you know, where, where do I get out of it? Well, giving is to be given generously, voluntarily, and sacrificially. So too should our giving be prayed for, it should be planned for, and it should be prepared for. Let me just encourage you, God does not want us to approach our giving as a tax or an obligation but as a willing desire to meet needs. I'd like for you to just write this down. I want to share with you some good advice from Andy Stanley. He's a pastor in Georgia. And he writes, in our giving, we need to prepare. And I thought this was uh, apropos for what Paul was sharing. In other words, you need to plan and prepare for your giving, even if it's just your giving to church and to, to those types of things. And he says, here's how you should approach your finances. This is how you should approach your money. The first thing you need to do is you need to give it. You need to give your money away. In other words, you need to look and say, it's not the last of your money that you give, but you say, I want to give. As God has placed on my heart, I want to give to this need, this passion of mine, this desire. Now the next one he says is to save it is to save it. And then he says, now once you give it, once you save it, now uh, repay or pay your taxes. All the things that we all love. And I'll break this down just a little bit. So then pay your taxes. Then the next one he has, the fourth one he says, is repay debt. Don't you love that? Repay debt. And then the last one, the fifth one, 
is to spend it. It's to spend it. I think this is some great advice, and let me just break it down why. Because reality, many of us go the other way, right? What's usually the first thing we do with our money? Well, spend it, but usually we have the government takes our taxes, right? You know, so, you know, it's just, what's the difference between gross and, and uh, you know, a net? For that person who gets his check and says, who's FICA and why is he taking so much out of my money? And we usually think of that, well, I just live after my taxes. But what we have to realize is that God has a different way for us to think of our money. In other words, he says you need to purpose in your heart to give. What has God called you to give? Then he says you need to save it. And to be honest, save it and give it are usually where? In that list. Last, right? I save if I have any left, and whatever I don't save, I'll throw into the offering plate, right? But here he says no. See, we need to approach money as God's gift to us to use according to his purposes. So we need to give it. We need to save it. Then we recognize that we pay our taxes, and then we repay debt. We pay down. And then we spend it. That's that discretionary fund. And many times what we do is we have it all backwards, and then when it comes to funding God's kingdom, and here's the bad news. I know we don't like to talk about money in church, but here's just the, the, you know, the, you know, here it is. The rubber beats the road. Is God's kingdom will grow but it needs to be funded. It needs to be funded. Now that does not mean that God that limits God's spirit, doesn't mean that God's work is reliant on our, but that's how God has designed it to be. To have a pastor, to have a staff, creates funding. To have a building creates a need for funding. To meet the needs of those in our church, the deacons fund needs funding. To meet needs of others, to send the gospel throughout all the world to finish the Great Commission, needs funding. And so do we fund the kingdom of God after we fund the kingdom of everything else? That's how we do it, right? The first thing is we, we, we fund the kingdom of the America, United States, right? Then we fund ourselves, and then we fund whatever debt we might have, and then in the end we just kind of use it for ourselves. But God says we're to give voluntarily, sacrificially, and generously. Why? Because our giving proves our love for God and what God has done for our heart or for us. And so we're to give it the same way. So as we come here near the end of this, this is a short message as I said before, as Paul is just giving some practical guidance to the church. He says, we know that you have a desire. We know that you, have a, uh, you want to be participate in this, but you need to plan for it. You need to prepare for it. You need to use it in a way that's integri- that shows integrity, that's honorable. And then you need to do it in a way that maximizes what God is trying to do. So here's the challenge for us. We need to excel in the grace of giving. We saw that last week. For you and I today, we need to begin praying now, Lord, how do you want me to give? In what way do you want me to give? And how can I plan to fund your kingdom in a way that is honorable and points to who you are? And Father, I pray that you help us to see that. That's so difficult. Money is so difficult to speak of in a church, and rightfully so in many cases, because many churches have abused it. Lord, we don't want to do that. 
There's no obligation to give. But you've called us to give out of a desire to meet the needs of others. And Lord, I pray that you'd give us that supernatural gift. Lord, that we would have a, just a, a build in us a desire to fund your kingdom. And as we do that, I pray, Lord, as a body that we would use it in a way that's honorable and that's integrity. Lord, help us not to use your money wastefully. But then I pray that individually, Lord, that you begin to work in our hearts and our minds. Show us how to give in a way that's pleasing to you. Not with just what's left over, but Lord, that we plan to just love our neighbor as ourselves by using our finances, not for our own selves, but for you. Lord, I pray that you impress in our heart, as Paul's impressing on the Corinthians, to follow through with our plan of giving so that you may be glorified. We pray this in the name of your Son. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.